the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. In today's episode, I want us to talk about something I think that would be very, well, I mean, I, I would hope that everything I speak on the radio is uh, important and useful and to help everyone in their, their walk in this life. And of course, I want that walk to be geared toward and moving in the direction of Christ our Lord in heaven. But I want to talk about something that I think we sometimes overlook. We overlook this because we have so many distractions in life. And the first part of this, we're all going to agree with, yeah, we, we need to work on our attitude. Everyone needs to work on our attitude. We're always thinking, I need to work on my attitude. Well, I have something here that I think would be able to help you in your attitude in whatever you know, section of attitude that, that you're wanting to grow or better yourself in, whether it's your attitude at work, attitude with the family, attitude at home, attitude with friends, school, whatever it might be. If we can implement what, I, what we have right here, which is going to be the attitude of worship, if you can do that right, it will, it will fix the attitude all throughout your life. I shouldn't say fix. It will improve. It will move it all in the right direction. If you have the right attitude of worship, not right attitude in worship, I mean, that will come with this. This is all about the right attitude of worship. I want to start with a little story. And it's the story about a couple of stories, actually. The first one, if you know history, if you're a history buff, you may know about Cortez. And I think that, I don't know if this is accurate history. I was going to look it up. I forgot to. Or if this was something people think Cortez did. When he was sent, he was from Spain. Back in the 15, early 1500s, he was sent to Veracruz, Mexico, to, to really take control of the Aztecs, take control of Mexico uh, we, as we know it today. And so he went there with his armies, and, and they arrived. But the army just didn't seem very motivated because the ships were right there. They could always just retreat, get back in the ships, go home. You know, the Aztecs were going to be warriors. They were going to kill them. It was going to be difficult. So to motivate the soldiers... Cortez burned the ships. Well, now you got to fight. There's no retreat. You better win. He changed the attitude from being lackadaisical because, ah, we can always leave if we need to, to greatly motivating them to what they need to do. It's a change of attitude. Another story. This one is about a little boy. He is out uh, playing in his uh, front yard in the grass. We don't have grass here in Arizona, but in this story, they got grass. <laughs> He's out there playing, and the parents are watching from the patio, and this is what the parents see. The little boy's got a baseball bat. He's got his ball. 
He throws the ball up. Or no, no, wait. He Before he throws the ball up, he, he yells out real loud, I am the greatest hitter of all time. He throws the ball up, and he swings with all his might at that ball. Whoosh. He misses. The ball falls and hits, hits the ground. Regretfully, the little boy announced, strike one. But undaunted, the little guy picks up the ball, throws it back up in the air, and he says, I'm the greatest baseball hitter ever. And he swings with even greater intensity. But as he swings, cuts the bat catch, catches nothing but air. Strike two, he said. He paused for a moment, examined the bat, looked down at the ball carefully, picked it up, and a third time threw the ball in the air. And with even more intensity, I am the greatest hitter in the history of baseball. And this time, and he swung that bat with all the might he had. And he missed. The ball hit the ground. The little boy's head dropped. And you could barely hear him mumble the words, Strike three. He sat down in the grass. The parents considered for a moment to go out there to comfort him, to tell him it's okay, he'll get better. But they decided to wait and watch. And suddenly the little boy jumped up, turned around and looked at his parents with big surprise eyes. And he said, I just struck out the greatest hitter in the world. I must be the greatest pitcher there ever was. (laughs) Attitude really matters, doesn't it? It can make the difference between a good day and a bad day. A good marriage and a bad marriage. Perhaps even a good life and a bad life, don't you think? One fellow once said, Words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. It always feels like more things happen to us, but it's how we respond to those things that really affects our lives. All these things are going to affect our lives, but how do you respond to it? That's the big question. Have you ever considered that your choice of attitude even affects your worship toward God? Now, I know you're probably driving, so I'm going to read from the 27th Psalm. And I didn't have my Bible turned over there already. I should have. But I'm going to turn over there now to the 27th Psalm, the Psalm of David here. And I want to read uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Here, David begins this Psalm by expressing his confidence in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, 
oh, through war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. This declaration of faith is written in the context of an attack from without by his enemies. David was the king of Israel, the leader of their armies, and a preacher of the word of God. The pressures associated with any one of these responsibilities would be more than most of us are capable of bearing. How does he hold it together? Well, he does so by maintaining an attitude of worship. And so I want us to take a few moments of our day today and break down what David has to say about this all-important pursuit. If we can do this in our everyday life, I'm not talking about just in the corporate worship center when we're here on Sundays or Wednesday nights for Bible study. I'm talking about every day, all day. And it begins with the discipline of worship. To be a person who is a true worshiper of God requires a substantial commitment to personal discipline. In a day and age when so many things compete for our worship, for our devotion, believers are often forced to make choices. David resisted the temptation to be consumed with his many duties in leading a nation and choosing instead to make God his number one priority. And this single-minded pursuit is what really made him such an effective leader. You may remember when David had that run-in with Goliath over in 1 Samuel chapter 17. While all the other soldiers could only see that situation, their situation, from that human perspective, and that, that hopeless perspective really, David, the worshiper of God, did not fall victim to such thinking. He was willing to oppose Goliath, not because he was stronger or more experienced soldier, that was most certainly not the case, but he was highly motivated. David was offended by the arrogance of Goliath and his unwillingness to acknowledge the greatness of the God he worshipped. Goliath could have ridiculed the armies of Israel, David himself, well, actually he did ridicule Israel, but nothing drew the young man's ire more than the unwillingness of the Philistine to respect and honor God. We could say that David was obsessed with worship. And so, how important is it that we as a congregation, or, or the, I should say we as a congregation, I should say that, that all of us out there are in the body of Christ, if you really are in the body of Christ, maintain this kind of important discipline. In the world today, there are many who want to change your attitude toward worship. One way is to change your focus. Oh, you're only successful in worship if your attendance rises every year. You're only successful in your worship or in your congregation if you guys can maintain a healthy profit margin. Or, in other words, we begin to look just like the world around us and we lose our life because we're focused on just the, the numbers. How does it look from the world's perspective? Much like what happened to the Israelites when they looked at the surrounding nations and they wanted to be more like them, when they saw Goliath and they just couldn't do it, that whole army, oh, we can't take that guy on. Here comes little old David, 
and he takes that, that Goliath down, and then he wipes out the Philistine army because he trusted in God and not in the perspectives of this world. The practice of Christian worship is being redesigned in many places in this world to suit the desires of those who are outside the body of Christ. If their attendance is contingent on more singing and less teaching, we capitulate to their desires. If they want the teaching to be more about how to live a good life and less about theology and and doctrine, well, we preach to accommodate that. If certain doctrinal positions offend people, oh, can't have that, we avoid them. If the services are too long or at an inconvenient time, no problem, we'll adjust. We cannot worship what we do not know. And we will not know God if our primary ambition is to serve and worship man. May we avoid the tyranny of our times by disciplining our minds to think as David did Here in verse 4 of the 27th Psalm, where he says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. And so, we need to work on the discipline of our worship. And then there's the destination of our worship, where he says right there in this verse 4, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. He's not referring to the tabernacle of his time, or the, where uh, the uh, Hebrew nation believed, that's where God dwelt, uh, and also the times preceding Solomon, that, or the temple being built during his son's reign. These places are not dwellings to be lived in, and neither were they eternal. Psalm 23, verse 6. David was talking about here of this ongoing and intimate relationship with God, where we live in his very presence. Worship is meant to bring us to the throne of God, that we might grow in our understanding of him. This is what Jesus referred to as eternal life over there in John 17, uh, the first couple of verses. And in providing for us life that would never end, God was giving himself to us. If worship does not bring us into the presence of God through his Son, then one of two things have gone wrong. Number one, either we are worshiping the wrong thing, or we're worshiping for the wrong reason. It really can be broken down that simply. So what is the object of our worship? The very first commandment given to Israel in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God said to have no other gods before me. We know what that means. And it's not talking about there just uh, uh, you know, some actual idol that you build for the purpose of having some other god. Our God is going to be anything that we give our devotion to as being number one. If your devotion toward money outweighs your devotion toward the one true God, then guess what? Guess what your idol is? money. If your devotion to your children outweigh your devotion to God in that some things are more important to do on Sunday morning worship time 
or even study times in that you're, it's a consistent uh, problem that, oh, I'm going to go do this for my kids. And, and then after I do things with my children, then I will devote myself and my children's time to the Lord. Guess what's first? It's pretty easy to answer when you put it like that. He alone, God alone, is to be the one we worship. God is clear on this. Whatever we do, it is to be done to his glory. Now let me turn over to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I know the verse, but I want to make sure I don't paraphrase it. and I want to say it correctly. But I love the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians. A lot of wonderful things being said and taught in that passage. But in this passage, verse 31, Paul writes, Whatever then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, is that only on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights? Whereas the rest of the week you can do what you want to do for your glory or your children's glory or the glory of money or the glory of your car, your spouse, or whatever? No. This is whatever and whenever. Everything you do ought to be to the glory of God. Everything. Do you think it brings glory to God when you skip out on the worship of the Father, where he wants us to gather together in an assembly, when you skip out that to go do things with your children? Now, is it what you're doing with your kids? Is that a good thing? Well, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. What's the best thing to do on that day? God is so central to our existence that the most routine things can and should be done to his glory. Think about it. Like when we sit down to eat and drink. I mean, how obvious is that we always do that? Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Are you partaking of those things to the glory of God? When you buy something, no matter how minuscule or small or insignificant, are you purchasing it to the glory of God? Of God. Whatever we do. We only get it wrong when we fail to worship God and we begin to worship the things of this world. Those things get our devotion. Those things get our time. Those things get our effort beyond the things of God. So what is our motivation for worship? The Lord did not receive Cain's sacrifice over in Genesis chapter 4 because it was not right. And it wasn't that the sacrifice itself was wrong. See, I think a lot of people say that, but I don't think so. because Now, we weren't there. We don't know for certain. But later on, we find out that grain offerings was what you know, he gives them the first fruits. That's what Cain does. Grain offerings was fine. I think here with Cain, it was the motivation. It was a matter of the heart. Cain was not right with God. It is possible to engage in the worship of God in a way that is not pleasing to our Lord. Certainly, this was the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I'm talking about Matthew chapter 15 uh, there. They, in that passage, pretended that their traditions were all about honoring God. But in fact... They were manipulating others to their own advantage. It was all about serving self. Guess who the devotion was to? Self. It wasn't about God. It was about what they wanted. And so they rendered the commandments of God null and void, causing Jesus to conclude that their worship was meaningless and empty. 
Now, had they uh, truly desired to please God, they would have followed the example of Christ in loving others. People seek access to the throne of God for many reasons. You may remember, I think this is in Mark, when Jesus first uh, um, fed the 5,000, remember with those uh, loaves of bread and the boys fish, and he breaks them up into those 12 uh, uh, baskets, or many baskets, I think it was 12, and then they distribute out, everyone ate as much as they needed. As much as they needed. And then there was baskets left over. Food left over, wow. And then the... Jesus and the disciples went across the, the little uh, sea there. And then the people come looking for him. And Jesus said, you came looking for me, not because you wanted to find me or you know, listen to his words, not because of the words I spoke. You wanted me to feed you again. What were they looking for? What was their motivation? Food wasn't the words that Jesus was speaking. That's what he wanted them to come after, to seek him. A lot of times, oftentimes, we come to the worship service, oh, I need motivation. The motivation ought to already be there. Why do you, what does the term worship mean? Why do you come to worship? It's your devotion to God. Now true, granted, a lot of times I speak and do my lessons on trying to motivate people to do certain things and whatnot, but it should be, I should be planning that on a foundation that's already there of a devotion to God. I'm not there to try to inspire people to want to devote themselves to God. That ought to already be there. That ought to be the reason why they are there in the first place. But sometimes people come because they want something from God. There, there is, however, one motive that seems more right than others. Because we want to know Him. Now let's talk about the duration of the worship. Here in uh, Psalm 27, verse 4, uh, David said, All the days of my life. He could think of nothing better than to spend the rest of his life dwelling in the presence of God. Worship was not some momentary experience. It wasn't just on Sunday morning for him or Saturday for, for that day and age. It, was, it is a lifelong pursuit where we give all that we are to honor all that he is. In Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3, David provides for us a model of what this looks like. We will worship him willingly. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Worship is a free will offering to God. We will worship God continually. He says there, I will bless the Lord at all times. There is never an inappropriate time to worship. Never. We worship God Personally, David said, my soul shall make it make its boasts in the Lord. And we will worship God corporately. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We are meant to worship God with others. And this duration isn't just on Sunday or Sunday night. Or, you, know, you know, God only commands that we come together as an assembly once a week. The rest of the time is when the elders thought, thought, you know what, this would be good for us to come together. And, and so we do that. We listen to the elders. We ought to. But the worship, your personal worship, that should be happening every day, every moment of the day. Everything you do ought to be to the glory 
of the Father. And it comes down to your desire. As uh, David said in it back to that 27th Psalm, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David had two desires in worship. To see something and to seek something, right? To see the beauty of the Lord. In the Hebrew, to behold the beauty of the Lord is, is a saying expressing the absolute delight which gazing continually at God's glory brings to us. It is beyond words, and it must be experienced to really understand what it means. To seek him in his temple is the idea to actively and passionately pursue God that we might know him better and enjoy him more. It is des- it's that desire described in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul Pants for you, O God. These two desires that we could see his beauty and increasingly seek him out are meant to have a profound impact on our lives as believers. They are meant to produce a decreasing satisfaction with the things of the world and an insatiable thirst for the presence of God. Uh, A fellow wrote a book, William, and I cannot say his last name, but the book's called Sahara Unveiled, tells the story of an Algerian named Laglag, seriously, I said his name, this Algerian, and a companion whose truck broke down while crossing that desert, the Sahara Desert. That's a big desert, folks. And they nearly died during the three weeks they waited before being rescued as their bodies became dehydrated. They found that they were willing to drink anything in the hopes of quenching their terrible thirst. The sun forced them under the truck into the shade where they dug a shallow trench. Day after day they lay there. They had food but did not eat fearing it would intensify their thirst. Because dehydration, and not starvation, kills wanderers in the desert. How did they manage to survive? They drank rusty radiator water, which is, in effect, a poison. What makes a man do that? Mixed with antifreeze, the residue of the engine, well, the overwhelming desire to live. What drives a Christian to seek out God in his temple and to seek his beauty? The answer is simple. The unquenchable desire to dwell, know God, and to see him in all his glory. Think about that. Your attitude of worship this week. As we try to let go of the things of this world and hold on to the things of God, let us always redeem the time to make the most of every opportunity the Lord has given to us. Thank you, and may God bless you this day in your study of His Word. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.